start recording. So I'm recording. We can cut the first part off. All right, guys. Welcome to Rendered. I'm Anthony. This is uh, my pal, Adam. This is our first podcast. Off we go. Today, we're going to talk about Star Wars, and we're going to talk about the art of Star Wars. Hey, real quick. So, yeah, should we ahead. tell them what we do as we get into Rendered? Like, Oh, dude, we should. Yeah, okay, so, so we'll cut. We'll cut. We'll okay. cut that and then go back and be like, cut right here. Hey, well- Hey guys, welcome to Rendered. I'm Anthony Romrell, and this is my friend Adam Manoa. It's good to see you guys. Good to have you on our podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about myself, and then Adam can tell you about him. So I'm a professor of animation and game development at a university in Utah, and um, I draw comics and make games and code and all sorts of crazy weird stuff. Adam, tell, tell us about yourself. Yeah, my name is Adam Manoa. I, too, am a an adjunct professor and I teach in the illustration department and I work as a production artist in entertainment. Um, worked on movies, uh, cartoons. I've worked on uh, video games and a bunch of other fun and exciting projects for sure. Right on. Cool stuff, man. So today in this segment, we are going to work, we are going to talk about star Wars. So, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about the art of star Wars. So Adam, what is, what is your most inspiring artwork? Let's start there from Star Wars. Well, I think most inspiring um, would have to start with Ralph McQuarrie. You know, I remember seeing some of his early renderings as a kid after, you know, watch growing up with the movies, but seeing some of his early renderings of what the movie could be and what kind of helped uh, get funding for it, you know, and I still look at, at Ralph's work and I'm just I'm awestruck and I'm amazed and, and you know really um you know my mind's blown and then kind of in a more modern um setting doug chang 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 yeah oh yeah is that it right doug chang and then ian mckig yeah i I love their work you know doug's uh starships and all that stuff are just uh, they're stunning and they're you know just uh just great like you can almost see them moving just in the uh the marker drawing and then ian's character concepts are just you know there's nothing better in my opinion. So my first memory of art of Star Wars is my, my parents bought me when I was a kid, a book called um, the story of Star Wars. And mm-hmm. it, it wasn't an art book, but it was just, it was photography. And I, I remember looking at that book every night before I, I'd go to bed. And th- the first image you open it up and it's a photo of three uh, PO and R2 against yep. the, the, the desert, desert. You can picture yep. of Tatooine, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it just has big, those little arms coming out of them. Right. And then and yeah. at the top is that um, the skeleton. I, I don't know the creature. Do you know the creature's name of that skeleton? Oh, I have to look it up. But anyway. I knew at one point. Ridge, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, and then, and then, and then um, the, the last page was the Star Destroyer hovering over Tatooine, um, chasing after the Tantive Four, right? Oh, and cool. So, so that's my first memory of, of art of Star Wars. And um, I, I think Star Wars, of, of course, has impacted all of us as artists. So mm-hmm. um, tell, tell us, 
a little bit about how Star Wars art has influenced your artwork? Um, well, first and foremost, I think the art of Star Wars books is what made me do what I want to do. Right. I'd go down to the bookstores and, and kind of one thing that was fun about my early book collection mm-hmm. is I had comic books and I had a few art books and I had some illustrated novels. But one thing I had was this packet of Star Wars blueprints. Yeah, yeah. And you, you unflip the little button flap and you pulled it out and there was the, the schematics for the Millennium Falcon or there was drawings of, of you know, um, Yoda and where, you know, his concepts from the beginning to kind of where he ended up. And so you see all this this, this process, you guys go, oh, this is kind of where they started and where, where they ended up. And so right. for me, that was a pretty formative um in my mind, as I as I look back to, uh, I, I'm going th- thinking of art in general, like whether it's comics, whether it's movies. I always love the concept art more than I like the the final product. Right. You know, and so right. seeing like Ralph's work and seeing these early schematics or these early drawings, or seeing the rough drawings of a comic, I'm like, oh, it's so good. And then I feel like someone yeah. in the pipeline kind of messed it up, or <laughs> you know, at least didn't translate it like the original sure. artist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for me, the, uh, the influence came from those early things and then just really just getting into those books. And when the prequels came out, I was a teenager. And, uh, so I could go down to the local bookstore and they had the art of, or the, the visual histories. And right. so I could kind of peer through those and see those props and those designs up close. And I really sucked those in and I'm sure Barnes and Noble or whoever got, upset with me because I would just come and have a huge stack of, you know, concept art books. Right. And I never bought anything. You know? Oh, I never did either. I, I'd go uh, to Barnes and Noble all the time and I'd sit and, you, you know, you go and hide, <laughs> you, you get yeah. your stash of art books because you're like, I, I sit in a comfy chair in the back and yeah, I can't afford it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> back when I was 20 but or whatever. Eventually yeah. I did end up buying stuff and I have, you know, quite the, the concept art book and all that kind of stuff collection. Right. But, but yeah. For me, that was it. What about what about you? Oh, you know what? So, I mean, obviously, I've collected comics, um, but you know, it's funny. I, I don't have a ton of Star Wars. Um, I, I I can't. Well, I can say why is because I'd follow artists, and I don't. There's no memorable artist at the time that was doing Star Wars in comics. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it was definitely the art books. Um, but one of my favorite books is, um, and I, I'm going to blow it. I don't. I don't know the book, but. Um, I loved going into seeing the the cutaways of the spacecraft, like the the Falcon or yeah. one of the X wings, or or um, the Star Destroyer. Like I loved seeing the teardown. Now, those would never go into the movies, right? But I loved the idea of of the breakdown of the ships, and I think that's why you know um, I started getting involved in 3D. So for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm more, well, I, I'm a traditional artist, but I've done a, uh, a number of 3d things. And so that's, there's, there's a number of, of movies that, that got me thinking about using 3d. And, um, I think the biggest turn in art for me with star Wars was when they did the, um, special edition. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting in the movie theater and I saw the big screen and I, I got hyped, you know, when the yeah. fighters, turned three-dimensionally because i remember the scene because you, you know adam i know you and myself and other people it's not like i haven't seen star wars one time it's like i've seen star wars 800 
a thousand times. It's like I couldn't rewind it fast enough because we were on. Um, I'm going to date myself for you young kids listening, but this little thing called VHS, right? <laughs> we we would have to rewind it. It's, I know, right? We'd have to rewind a tape to watch Star Wars again. We'd have to wait. And well, do you remember would, like watching it so much, and then the tape would get all the, like the banding on it, and because you've worn it out. You totally it out. So many times. Yeah. yeah you, and that's what's, and, and then the worst about VHS um, for you older guys, you, you know, is when you're watching it and then, or you're rewinding it and then you realize it, get, it got caught in your VCR. The tape was yeah. caught and you, you knew it was over. You knew that scene, that movie, that, that v, it was done. Did you ever do surgery when it caught and you oh, have yeah. to like cut it and like re-tape it together and... <laughs> You know, I, I remember one time being right. at my friend's house and literally having a VHS taken apart. And I had like, you know, my friend sitting on each side of my guard scissors, right. you know, give me the tape. And I'm just literally like trying to get like the cleanest cut with the most, <laughs> the littlest amount of, uh, I don't know what they would call it, but tape missing. Yeah, because it would break. Place yeah. it back together and being the hero of the day. And then you get to that one scene when it's like important, right. you know. Right. Like, oh. Yeah, I lost it. My favorite part, right? <laughs> you, a cut out of Empire where he says, I'm your father. Totally gone forever yeah. on your VHS tape. He's no good to me. What? <laughs> right? So let's talk a bit now about the creator of Star Wars. Your thoughts on George Lucas. Uh, I, I like to refer to him as Uncle George. <laughs> Uncle um, George, okay. I think George Lucas to me is responsible for um, a lot of my childhood loves. Right. Um, you think of Star Wars, you think of Indiana Jones, you think of all the movies that he was involved in creatively helping to make the visual effects. Yeah. Um, I remember just, just as, as I got older and started realizing how much um, his hands were involved or at least his studios were involved in creating things that I loved. You know, I love Star Trek. I had no yeah. clue that the guys that were making Star Wars were making the, the effects for Star Trek. Oh, it blew and, my mind. Yeah. Know, yeah, totally. And, uh, and then you think about Jurassic Park years later and ILM, you know, creating these, you know, dinosaurs that to me were, were realistic. And, oh, and yeah. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And I think that movie came out when I was, I just graduated from the eighth grade. So I've been about 14. Yeah. I remember going to the theater and just being like, this is amazing. This is and each one's gotten better visually, yeah. you know, maybe the stories haven't, but visually it's, it keeps getting better and better. And it's oh, amazing. You know, yeah. I mean, I love dinosaurs and that, I mean that watching Jurassic park made me want to read the novels and I wasn't a big oh, yeah. reader and want, going back and reading those and then that turned me into like wanting to read star wars books and other things and and you know for me george lucas is i feel like directly or indirectly responsible for that and, you know i know the prequels get a lot of hate but when you go and look at them from like a uh, kind of at a deeper level they're right. really quite amazing films and they're really great storytelling and you know, you may hate a couple of characters or hate some choices that he made. Sure. But ultimately, you know, he's the godfather of, of this universe and he understands it and understands the character so well. Then when you see the, the, the reins or the, the keys of the castle turned over to someone else, they're not making the same choices he would because 
they don't have that internal knowledge of like, well, this is what this character right. would do in that situation. And, you know, I, I revere him and respect him and I, I love what he's done. I love, you know, he's, he's literally created a religion, you know, amongst people where Star Wars yeah. is their religion and, and brings them hope and they can identify with so many different characters within the saga. And, and so, yeah, I, I think George Lucas is awesome. And I, I just, uh, you know, I feel like he's gotten a bad shake from some Star Wars fans. Sure. Hopefully they're, they're eating their words right now. They're eating crow. But um, I never walked out of a, a prequel going, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. I always walked out like, dude, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then as we go back and kind of micromanage or evaluate it, you know, and sure. nitpick it and whatever else, you kind of start to like, oh, yeah, whatever. But, but one thing I've always got, tried to think about is my initial reaction leaving a movie is really kind of what the filmmakers intended it for us to have. Right. So if I leave the movie theater really stoked on it, like, oh, that was cool, and I can kind of appreciate it. Um, well, I remember you know, I, Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 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 please. No, no, you do it. <laughs> no, no, I was the same thing, but I'm just saying my first impression usually is kind of like, that. that's to me the purest form of, of um, what's the word? I don't want to say entertainment, but for me that's, when I go into a movie and I leave it and I'm stoked on it, that was yeah. great. But then when I go back and watch it over and over again and listen to other people's opinions and whatever else, I think it kind of ruins that oh, uh, ruins that experience for me. And, you know, the Phantom Menace, yeah, I, I didn't care much for Jar Jar, but I left the theater just like my mind blown. You know, I've never seen a lightsaber battle like that. I've never yeah. seen visual effects like that. You know, that first right. um, shot where that um, the, the Jedi um, cruiser comes into the, the – the landing bay and then oh they God. shoot it and it blows up. I was just like, Whoa, I mean, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Like we're seeing star Wars and, you know, so for me, my first impression leaving is always kind of one that I try to, to really look back on, especially after like I hear other people's critiques and, you know, all that stuff. what about what were you saying? Well, I, you know, okay. So my impressions of George, right. Um, I, I, I think George is actually quite a masterful storyteller and I, but I think his, his, his best strength, George's best strength is his art direction. Yeah. I, I really believe he's one of the greatest art directors in the business. Um, the, the way, okay. So let's talk about, we'll talk about George and the fans for a second for me. So um, everyone's first impression of the Phantom Menace, it, it was awesome. I mean, let's really, let's be serious for a minute. I don't know one person who didn't see it six times in the theater, right? The, the theatrical release was massive. And um, I remember going back again and again, like you mentioned that fight, that just a choreography of that lightsaber fight with Darth Maul, that was groundbreaking. And, and that was George. Now, <laughs> you, whether, whether George made the decision to, to come up with the fight or if George... Um, was the choreographer behind the fight? He was—he was the director. He was the lead. He—he he approved that fight, and he had the vision. Yeah, it was yeah. his vision, and 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 just the, the the idea, the concept of pushing the technology. Besides being a really amazing art director, I mean, Phantom Menace. Every single thing is a model in that. Yeah, movie. it's legit. Yeah, it's not, and and when I say model, I don't mean three D models. They they were handcrafted yeah. by artisans, by artists who. And it's beautiful. Oh my gosh! Like you, I mean, you look at that movie. film; it's it's 
the props and the set design, everything about it is just it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And I like the little things that he added. Like, for example, as as he he's he he we went through the prequels and and we saw R two D two. I can't remember what the movie. I, it's probably Attack of the Clones, where his his legs have those things on the side or little rockets. Yeah, they're rockets, and he yeah, can. Yeah, it's episode uh, I mean, two. That was like, okay, George. I mean, to bring something old and to make it new, like mm-hmm. that's one thing I loved about George, and and one of his critiques of the new movies, George's critiques is that um, he always brought something new to the series. He always there was always a new spaceship. There was always a new droid. There was mm. always a new world. Yeah. Um, and I loved his execution of that sort of thing. So um, let's talk about now the future of Star Wars, if, if we can. Um, so why not talk, why don't we start with The Mandalorian? Okay. And, then, and then we'll end with a, a little surprise that Adam and I and some friends have been talking about, right? So The Mandalorian, what do you think, man? Um, I think it's a return to form. Yeah. You know, um, I feel like with the sequel trilogy, I liked it. You know, yeah. I wasn't the biggest fan of episode eight, like a lot of you. Um, but I felt like there was too many hands kind of meddling in the story. Sure. Where they just didn't tell like a good, simple Star Wars story. Like you look at the A New Hope, right? Yeah. It's about a farm boy, gets put on an adventure. Yes. It's kind of taken out of his element and right. you're just kind of along the ride and you kind of identify with, with Luke, you know, like you do. and then he meets kind of like the, you know, Han Solo and meets, you know, Ben Kenobi and, you know, we just put in this, this world where he's, you know, literally been this, this farm boy, hasn't done anything inside. He's dream big. But yeah. all of a sudden now all of a sudden he's thrown into the knee deep into the, you know, the story and you just kind of go along for the ride with him. And I, and I love that. Right. And then you look at the Mandalorian. I just recently rewatched uh, the first five episodes and it's, it's a return to form where all of a sudden it starts out very simple. You know, mm-hmm. it's not this big convoluted story where they're trying mm-hmm. to hide spoilers or do anything like that. Even though they kept one of the greatest spoilers secret, oh, you know, huge. Right. But, um, but anyways, I felt like it was just simple storytelling where you got this guy, they quickly established what kind of a person he is and what kind of universe he lives in. Right. And then, uh, but then they just kind of stick with that. The whole series was just really, you know, a great simple story where even if you take the Star Wars out of it, it'd be an awesome Western. Oh, you know, excellent. it could be, you know, a fun, you know, inner city crime drama, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think that to me is like really good storytelling where it doesn't matter what scene or what setting you put the character in. If you care about the character character and what they're, doing um regardless of visual effects regardless of of scenery that i think it's it's a much more compelling um story it's, i liken it to logan you know with hugh jackman right where you pull the superhero element out of there and it's just a great solid film and really great storytelling right where you know you go to the mando and it's it's that same thing where it's it's just a cool spaghetti western but with like cool spaceships and and creatures and you know, a cute little uh, baby Yoda. See, and I love the homage to Boba Fett, but I love that he was not Boba Fett. Right. Boba Fett, to me, was, he was a mercenary. He was a villain. I mean, he'd work for anybody. This guy, you know, obviously starts out in the same way, but but he's, and he has a code 
but mm-hmm. but there's a there's an underlying code that makes him turn back and get the child right right and i love the concept behind him like because that can we could relate to that i mean yeah i, could, I couldn't relate to boba fett as cool as he is he's a super cool character but i couldn't relate because he's behind a mask and although we played him we loved to, to be boba fett as kids i felt like i could relate more to the mandalorian because you know i have oh he acts human yeah he's or, human. Boba Fett's almost like he could be a robot, a robot. He could be anything, you know, and he's just, he's all about like the bottom dollar, you know, where the Mandalorian, when you see him have that first interaction with the child, because he's all business and tells him he sees what his, what his bounty is. Right. And then that starts to change him. And then when he goes to deliver the child and he leaves and then all of a sudden he, he, his conscience kicks in. Right. And, you know, he goes back and basically sacrifices everything that he's kind of worked for and built up his reputation, you know, his honor, whatever. And to sacrifice that all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, here we've got like a guy who's rough around the edges trying to survive in his corner of the galaxy. But yet he's, he's got a, you know, he's got a conscience. He's got, he, the, you know, there's humanity. I think that's one thing with George that he kind of set up was that, you know, there is good and evil. There is, right. you know, moral, uh, moral there is a moral um obligation to do what's right you know where you know luke reluctantly you know jumped in there at first he didn't want to first he dreamed about adventure and then when adventure was kind of put in front of him he's like ah oh, no i i just don't think so i've got so much work to do then he goes home and sees his uncle and his aunt murder and he's like well i guess i'm in you yeah know? i'm in and and all of a sudden he was in you know in the thick of it you know he you know a little did i think that when he was on tattooing you know uh looking at the two sons that he would be in a x-wing you know in the trenches of the death star you know just days or a week later or whatever you know little i i'm sure he didn't think about it but he he knew what he had to do and he had the skill set that he could go and and use for the betterment of everyone else versus just kind of keeping things kind of selfish and inward so we're going to talk about now we're going to shift gears from the mandalorian to um the sequel trilogy and you know a lot of you who are listening may love the sequel trilogy or you may hate it um but we have some interesting things to talk about um a good friend of mine i'm going to call him out his name's preston um and my friend preston we were talking about the last jedi no the rise of skywalker i gotta admit i always say that the last jedi is in my head more i don't know why it is it's just in my head more um so Anyway, let's talk about this. So, and I told Adam about it and both of us were like, mind's blown. So, so here's, here's kind of the concept and, and, you know, let's go back and forth, Adam, jump in when you want. So here's the concept. So I'm going to ask you a question, Adam. What is, what is the one thing that Palpatine wanted or promised Anakin? Um, He promised him that he could save his wife, that he could save her from certain doom or certain death. Right. And so, okay, that's the one thing that the Sith want, and uh, they just can't get it. And and it never occurred to me why they couldn't get it. So enter um, the rise of Skywalker, and and Ray seemingly has this new power, and and this power bothered a lot of people. And What's the power? It's the power that she could heal. She could she could save life, but. And it didn't dawn on me until my friend Preston said, well, yeah, she could say life. And that's the one power that the Sith wanted. And then, okay, my mind was blown. So I'm like, okay, 
Ray now has the power that the Sith always wanted. How did Ray get that? Uh, it's assumed that Ray got that from studying the books and right. working with Jedi Master Leia. Um, she is she is honed into this power uh, of healing. Now the healing, if you recall, um, in, in in the Rise of Skywalker, uh, she said something to BB-8. Do you remember what that was? She said something to BB-8. Is that yeah, in the that snake thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she talked about um, putting a little bit. Why well, can't remember if it was her life force or yeah, or her, her life force, her life force to to heal the the beast. Exactly. You know, she used some of her life force to to basically heal his wounds and. Exactly. So so she she gives some of her life force to this beast, and we go on. She she battles it out with Kylo Ren. Um, Kylo gets the ashes of the Death Star. The wreckage yeah, the of the ashes Death Star. Of the Death Star, right? And. And she then heals Kylo, okay? After impaling him. <laughs> right. And, and so that means, okay, so we're going to try to add this up together. Um, so that means she gives part of her life force to Kylo. So I'm going to say what Preston said. She gave, in, in her giving her life force to Kylo, she actually also transferred some of her power, which gave some of her, her essence. Heal. And then Leia steps in, right? his mom and gives her life force to Kylo. And then he turns to the, to the good side. Now, now we get to the end. She has this huge battle with, with Palpatine and it, it, it's a blur uh, how it all kind of, to me, I should remember, but um, it's kind of a blur how she, how she met her fate, but she ultimately dies. And then Kylo um, comes up and, and he then force heals her. So, so since he heals her, he's then transferring, I think, all of his power and energy. Let me, let me interject real quick. She's yeah, dead. Yeah, she's like, dead. She, she's gone. Right. And so he actually uses the force to resurrect her. Right. You know, to like basically bring her back from the dead. And so kind of like jumping off what you're doing. But she, she literally exhausted all of her energies. She was gone. Know, to, to basically defeat the emperor. You know? Right. And, you know, she, she had a quick moment where she could look up and make sure everyone's safe. And then she essentially just died. And then Kylo, like you said, came in. And then I'll let you... Let you yeah, he this. uses his power to transfer his life force to her. Completely. And so, so Preston brings this up and blow, he blows my mind at this next part, part because, because some people, there's a real controversial thing. At the very end, she says, um, she's the asked lady. who she is. Yeah. And she says, I, my name's Ray, and Ray who? And she says, I'm, I'm Ray Skywalker. And I think that all of us as fans had thought what she was doing was she was just naming herself. But I don't believe that's what happened at all. Um, I think that Kylo transferred his life force to her, and she literally is a Skywalker now. She's not yeah. just a Skywalker in name. She, she has the essence of of, of Kylo. And I just thought this, um, probably some of Leia too, cause Leia, um, helped save Kylo. So sh she's a Skywalker now. There, One thing that's interesting uh, thinking about that is you actually rewatched the movie recently, especially after right. we talked Right. and you, you look at Leia and she's dead in, in the, uh, the, um, resistance camp. Right. And, but her body hasn't become one with the force yet. Right. It's still there. And then Kylo or Ben, once he becomes Ben again, you know, he's fighting, he's 
doing things for good or whatever. And I think that's a little bit with his mom kind of transferring her essence or, or her powers to him to kind of help him um, through this thing. But anyways, it, it's not until he becomes one of the force that her body then becomes one with the force. Right. And so you look at, you know, Leia's influence on Ben and Ben's influence on Ray, and you look at what those two were doing together. And then, so basically, you know, we look at Leia and Ben is, you know, I wonder how much of, her essence or her force spirit force you right. know, powers or whatever were, were transferred to Ben. And then what the, that was done to transfer to, to Ray. And then as she looks to Luke and Leo's force goes in the distance, it's like, they almost give her approval. Like, yeah, you're one of us. You, you are. Know, one it's of not, us. it's not just like a kind of like, Hey, what's up kid? I'm like, Whoa, Whoa. You know, you're taking no. my name. Yeah, but no, sure. it's like, I felt like they gave her not saying like, look, and, and here's another thing that's kind of crazy. Right. Yeah. Is, Remember the end of Return of the Jedi when Anakin becomes good? Yes. And then who's he, who's, who does Luke see him with at the end? Well, he sees him with his other masters. Yeah, he sees him with Ben and with Yoda, right? Right. But at the end of this movie, does Rey see Ben with Luke and Leia? No, she, she doesn't. That's true. You know? So, she, I mean, it makes you wonder, like, yeah. possible future storytelling, if they can exactly. somehow resurrect Ben Kenobi, or not Ben Kenobi, Ben, Scott, or ben Solo. Right. You know, so what if she finds a way to kind of bring him back from the the, the nether world of the Force or whatever, you know? But you didn't right. see her. And, and, and I think they always say Star Wars is poetry, right? Right. And so if, if it was pure poetry, if they if they really were kind of saving something, they would have had the three of them, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Because they were all impactful on her life. They were. Just like Yoda, Ben, and, and Anakin were. That's a great you know, point. Which would have been interesting to see that. So it makes me wonder if they're kind of saving Adam Driver for uh, for something else, you know. I certainly hope so. And I would love to, I was kind of bummed when he died, you know, because it's like oh, yeah. I would have loved, you know, they wanted the Vader-esque kind of whatever. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, I think it would have been cool had he lived, you know, because now I think an even more compelling story of him become supreme leader is him right. making amends. Yeah, because he went on a ten plus year run of just being uh, trying to be his grandpa. Yeah, no, I mean, there's consequences to that, right? Not everyone would be on his side. Yeah, well, you look at you know um, what was I thinking of in the in the expanded universe when Leia when she discovered that Vader was her father, and Vader tried to come and visit her, you know, and she hated him. She didn't want anything to do with him. No, not at all. He he was involved in murdering her entire planet. You know. And so there's all these great little stories that I felt like Disney really kind of missed out on with yeah. the expanded universe sure, because they wanted to keep these secrets and get this new avant-garde kind of storytelling. But, but ultimately I feel, you know, back to your, your comments or whatever, you know, Ray, you know, Ben sacrificing himself for Ray to become whole again. Yeah. You know, is, is pretty cool. And, you know, in my opinion, I agree with you, you know, she's a Skywalker, you know, because she she may not have been when she died, no. But it was when, when Ben she was resurrected, right? And, and the then, thing that is, it brings in the 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 whole thing all together because that one power that she had to heal could I'm I'm going to say that could only be used by a Jedi or in this case yeah. the the new name probably it's Skywalker. compassion. Yeah, and the Sith could never do that. So so it brings into this whole idea. Um, if you want to save someone you're going to have to, to use the powers, the, the, the light side of the force and sacrifice yourself. Did that. Exactly. You can't save yourself. The Sith right. take 
right? And and the yeah. Well, and Siths were or passionate, and they thought only inward of themselves, right? Anakin only thought about what he wanted, which was to say Padme, but he never thought what was best for Padme. Right. You know? He never thought about, you know, trying to keep her out of harm's way. He just thought about how, what I'm going to do anything it takes to get the power that when you die, because his, his the thing with Anakin, he's got a very complicated story, right? Right. Um, so he was he was what ten years old when he was taken from his mom. Exactly. So he already had attachment. So you look at Qui Gon, and Qui Gon saw in Anakin that he was the chosen one. Yeah. And Anakin, but he also saw in Anakin the conflict. You know, you you have attachment. We're going to rip you from your mother. Mm-hmm. But Qui Gon was was kind of an unorthodox Jedi, and so he could go and be the father figure that Anakin needed. Right. Because Obi Wan didn't even want him. Oh, we didn't. Oh, he didn't oh, even oh. want him to go back. He's like, are we going to get another stupid oh. life form or whatever? Right. Um, would... Obi Wan didn't want to train him. He trained him out of a out of a respect for Qui-Gon right where Qui-Gon wanted Anakin and Qui-Gon wanted to be that father figure and guide him in the force and teach him not just to be a mindless drone for the Jedi council, but to be one with the living force. Yeah. You know, which I thought was a really interesting take because you look at the Jedi council and they're very much like, you know, straight laced, you know, they have their, their agendas, whatever. But Qui-Gon was always teaching Obi-Wan said it in the very first line of Phantom Menace was like, Mm -hmm. you know, listen to the living force, you know, don't just be caught up in the moment, you know, listen to everything around you. And so Qui-Gon was looking at Anakin as, you know, uh, and with a, with a bigger, um, with the big spread in, in mind and everyone else just saw him as a nuisance. The Jedi council didn't want to train him. They, no one, you know, right. the only person that cared about him was his mom, Shmi. you know? Right. And so the taking him from that and then kind of in, introducing him into the, the Jedi order, you know, Anakin had bias. He had attachment. He had, you know, unbridled passion and anger. And, and, you know, when he had that vision of his mom dying and it came to fruition, you know, when he had the same things about Padme, it drove him to the point where he's like, I am not going to lose what's most yeah. important to me again. And then he's deceived by Palpatine to get that healing power. Yep. But well, and if you watch the, the pre or the, the Clone Wars, you see that subtle shift in Anakin's countenance yes. where in the beginning it's very optimistic, right? right? And then about halfway through, you see him really start going down some dark paths and make some changes where you're like, oh, that's crazy. Right. And then you get all the way to season seven when he gets really intense. And, yeah. he, you know, by season seven, he's already half Sith. Exactly. You know, he's already half Sith. He's already, he's already, he's disillusioned with the Jedi. You know, they, he sees the flaws in their philosophy Right. He's mad that they don't treat him as an equal because no one wanted him. The right. only person that wanted him was Qui-Gon, you know? And so Anakin's conflicted the whole time. And so as you see him kind of start to evolve and change and become very selfish and very, he thinks inward and it's, it's kind of like a survival of the fittest, you know? Exactly. He, he, he only cares about what's in his little circle where he's willing to sacrifice any and everybody else to get what he wants. Right. And he ends up killing the, the one thing that he, he can't live without, you know? And so you look at his story, it's tragic and, and terrible and, and whatever else. I can't even remember where I was going with this, all this. But, but you know, I mean, I mean, getting back to the whole thing, it's, it's if even the, the Sith could never get that power that, that right. they finally That's got. Even, even Emperor Palpatine at the end had to be run by machines and clones. Yeah. He couldn't be healed. But then when, when the two of them came together, they both had that healing power and he took that from them. 
then he he took that power to heal him and that that further shows the evidence um of of ray's power and ray ultimately really becoming a skywalker and saving and and, and bringing back the house of skywalker as it will yeah so well guys it's interesting to the end of our podcast just for fun oh. <laughs> um adam so um what uh who shot first Oh, Han, totally, man. <laughs> right. I agree. You go back and watch. I mean, to me, that's the one the one bit of storytelling I have a problem with with Uncle George. Sure. And I get why he did it. Change. You know, he wanted to make it more kid-friendly or whatever. Exactly. But you go back and watch the original cut of A New Hope or Star Wars, for those of you that are yeah. in the know. And you see that, that thing where he, he slowly kind of builds up to Han Solo yeah. shooting Greedo. So he's Greedo's kind of threatening him at first. Yep. And you see his hand go down and kind of undo the, the buckle on his, or the button on his blaster holster, you right. know, and he's slowly kind of just talking. And then as the conversation kind of builds up and all of a sudden he kind of pulls his blaster out right. and then he doesn't even give Greedo a chance. He's like, no. boom, it's over. And then Greedo's it's dead over. on the thing. Well, and Greedo then, I remember, kill him, right? Yeah. Greedo. But you go back, I remember watching the, uh, the special edition in the theater yeah. And getting that point because it was one of my favorite scenes. Oh, I you know? know. I remember as a kid just being like, "Wow, this is." I mean, I didn't understand it then. I understand right. it now. Right. But watching that scene, all of a sudden you see Han's head kind of move weird, and you know, it made no sense. Yeah. No I, sense. But yeah, it was just kind of weird. But yeah, I I, I got a copy of the despecialized edition of uh -huh. the uh, the original trilogy. Sure. And watching that scene with my kids, like this is so much better. That one scene. You know? Yeah. 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 And it's it's the one retcon that I would say needs to be made, <laughs> you know, but I don't care. I'm not as super compassionate because here's the deal. If you accept George Lucas as the the author of Star Wars, right. And you look at the 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 original trilogy and the yeah. changes he made, that's canon. It's canon. That comes from George. Yeah. That's the choices that he made and that's what he's sticking yeah. by. And so whether you think Han shot first or not, which he did in the original matter. one, doesn't matter because he didn't shoot first now. You know? so for those of you uh, listening to the podcast, um, make sure, you know, leave some comments. We want to know what you think. Um, did, did Han shoot first? Is George Lucas the greatest, the greatest uh, director of all time? Um, is Ray indeed a Skywalker? Did she get the force powers from Kylo when he gave it to her? Leave those comments on our podcast. And if you wouldn't mind, give us a like. Give us a bunch of stars and subscribe as we move along. We're doing this for you guys, right? Yeah, give us yep. five stars. We're just going to say it, right? Just give us five stars. We, we don't want two or one. Yeah. It'll get better, I promise. <laughs> It'll get better. All right, guys, that's the end of our podcast. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next time. Hey, Anthony, real quick, where can they find you? Oh, my gosh, where can they find me? Um, so you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, Anthony Romrell, R-O-M-R-E-L-L -L at Instagram. And Adam, what's your Instagram handle? It's Manoa13, M-U-N-O-A-1-3. Excellent. Right on. So, so uh, yeah, like and subscribe. Find us on Instagram. And uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure doing this podcast. And we will see you again on our next show. Peace. Peace. So I'm going to stop it now. Is that a wrap? <laughs>
hey guys, I'm Anthony, blah, 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 and I'm going to start over. Ready? Okay, ready? <laughs> <laughs> I won't keep doing this, I promise. <laughs>